Today, I'm excited to chat with Ayla Tesler Mabe, an accomplished multi-instrumentalist from right here in Vancouver, BC, and we talk about her wild journey thus far in the music industry. We talk about her experience playing in Calpurnia with famous actor Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things, her band Ludic, her wild success on Instagram, and finally, the launch of her solo career, which all kick-started with a song with the famous artist Willow. Enjoy. Apparently, it was caught on the baby monitor singing We Will Rock You uh, when I was a baby. So there's something to be said for, I don't know, just music making its way into my life very early on. But um, So your parents were playing We Will Rock You or you were just started singing that from uh, from the time you were born? I just, I mean, I, I must have heard it somewhere. I don't think it was like in my, in my genes, but <laughs> I know they were like into the whole baby Mozart thing. Um, but that's the extent of like their kind of, uh, it's not an imposition, but like they're putting music in front of me. And then from that point on, I just kind of found it on my own and I felt really inspired by music and I asked them to start taking some lessons on various instruments and they encouraged that and supported that. But yeah, it was just like, I, I found music I loved on my own and then from there felt inspired to play and the rest is history. And what, uh, what age would this have been where you were, uh, you were starting to kind of take lessons? Um, well, I guess where it started was with instruments. I'm trying to remember. I, Wanted to play the guitar when I was eight because that's when I discovered the Beatles. Okay. And I took like three lessons and I was like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. So I started playing the cello um, in the school orchestra. Okay. And then a few years later, I realized I wanted to play bass. Um, and at that time, I was self-taught. And I was playing the bass, taught myself um, to play, and then started playing guitar and was teaching myself. And then about two years into playing guitar seriously i started taking lessons again um when i wanted to get into playing jazz and stuff like that so yeah and so were you more um like taught more like classically trained or like uh in a in more or i guess a more formal uh approach to to learning music or was it very much kind of by ear and uh you know figuring out songs or and at this point have you do you do you have both of those kind of knowledges that you pull from like are you are you sight reading music is that something that's important to you or or was it more like hey i want to learn a you know every beatles song and 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 figure out how to make this into my own kind of style very much uh, the latter, because I think I, not I think, there was a certain period of time where when I was playing bass, I was quite good at sight reading. And I remember being in the sixth grade um, when the like grade 10 jazz combo, um, like when one of the guys had a varsity basketball game, I would fill in on bass. Um, and I was able to do that because I could sight read, but as I got more into playing guitar, I just didn't find it particularly useful um, for my goals and also the way I think about the instrument. And so it's this interesting blend of, I love doing everything by ear, um, but I also love music theory. It started again with that jazz teacher. He encouraged me to kind of get comfortable with sight reading and whatever, but I kind of rebelled in the sense that I was like, ah, I don't really see a purpose. So every lesson we'd start the same way. He's like, let's do some sight reading. Did you do any sight reading practice last week? And I'm like, you already know the answer. <laughs> no. <laughs> but then he and I would analyze um, jazz standards and like Steely Dan and Stevie Wonder songs. And like from there, I started to dip my toes into music theory. And then on my own, I really kind of pushed myself to figure things out because I found it interesting. And then I've taken some um, online theory courses through Berkeley College of Music. But nice. yeah, so again, sight reading or reading music at all, I'm quite bad, but I have a pretty extensive... Knowledge. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. But again, I do try to really just do everything by ear. When did, when did you get into uh, playing in bands or what was kind of your first experience in playing in a band? Well, I'd say like from the beginning because... The reason I fell in love with the idea of playing bass and guitar was 
because I fell in love with the Beatles and the idea of being in a band. And I, on bass, pretty much right after I started playing it seriously, I uh, was playing in this Led Zeppelin cover band called Kid Zeppelin. Nice. <laughs> and yeah, we performed a couple times at the Vancouver Art Gallery because they had like a pretty cool Led Zeppelin centered uh, exhibit at the time. And yeah, I pl- I've played in so many bands. Like I had a band with some friends from school. I was kind of putting myself out there through lots of different music programs and camps in the city and meeting different people around my age playing music and anytime someone asked me to play with them or jam with them or join their band I was like okay <laughs> and, and were you uh, playing uh, yeah. different instruments depending on the band or were you always uh you know playing either guitar bass or, or singing not singing well at that time other than Kid Zeppelin and the school high school jazz combo <laughs> uh, I think I was pretty much always playing guitar okay and sort of singing, but I was a little nervous about it. Sure, aren't we all? Um, <laughs> do you find, um, did you find when you were kind of growing up or even now, um, do you find that there's a lot of um, girl guitar players around? Like one thing, you know, we were, you know, we were kind of, you know, bouncing around looking at different players, you know, locally and um, <laughs> had a very difficult time coming across, you um, females who who rock or who are out there who are playing a lot um it's it's seems to be at least from my perspective and this is obviously in the in the greater vancouver area it seems very male dominated is that is that something that you have found or um or or no yes i'd say historically it's been a very male dominated thing and most women i know who are doing music professionally tend towards songwriting and being vocalists um and it is interesting to think about the demographics of uh i grew up doing a lot of different music programs and i went to the berkeley college of music many summers when i was in high school just for their summer programs and um, i did that at the musicians institute in los angeles as well just because i wanted to absorb any and all information i could uh and yeah generally those programs have very few girls in them um, but I feel like over time, more and more, I'm seeing more girls um, really diving into like the instrumentalist side of things and like trying to make a career as a session player um, and not just like a songwriter or singer-songwriter and whatnot. Um, so I feel like more and more I'm seeing that. Uh, and yes, I'd say there's an imbalance, like we're both in the Vancouver scene. Um, but I feel like I'm seeing a shift. And then when I read statistics that are coming out, like I think Fender said something like 50% of guitar players now seem to be women. Oh, wow. Which, yeah, which, which is pretty cool. And like I'm seeing it's so awesome. many, yeah. yeah, like women online and more and more in person who totally shred. They're like, very very technically proficient and uh clearly working like hours a day on their crafts yeah we we uh we did a, a couple tours i don't know if you know ginger chen um bassist uh, oh i do i do yeah, yeah yeah and we had we had her for a couple tours and there's there's it was like one of the best moments in the whole show when ginger just kind of let loose and and was kind of ripping yeah. on the bass like she just gained like a huge fan following uh everybody just just loved it it was it was so powerful because i think it's um you don't come across it quite as often um which which sucks. So I I hope that those Fender statistics uh, that would that would be awesome. Uh, I feel like it would be that'd be great for for music as a whole. Um, okay, so you um you have a, you've had a couple bands. You're still in Ludic currently, right? Which you guys mm-hmm. had a record that came out in 2022, um, and now you have released a bunch of solo material in this past year. Um, so walk me through kind of your, I guess your, your most recent project. You have an EP coming out in November. Um, how was, uh, kind of the writing and production, uh, of that record? How did, how did it come together? Well, I think it's funny to, uh, follow up all this discussion about my years playing in bands with a discussion around how this 
solo endeavor came to be because I fell in love with music through the fantasy of playing in a band. I've had a lot of experiences collaborating with people. I've learned a lot about how I like to collaborate, what works for me, what doesn't work for me. Uh, and I think I've come to the conclusion that it can be very challenging to collaborate with people as much as it can be really rewarding. Uh, and I love Ludic and I want Ludic to continue for as long as possible in my life because I have found that Max and Rhett are really, really fantastic communicators and like very open to self-reflection um, and hearing where I'm at. And of course, I'm very interested in hearing where collaborators are at too. And it's been frustrating in the past to work with people where I want to know where they're at, but they aren't maybe even sure themselves. And, you know, through no fault of their own, I have my own uh, kind of challenges in a collaborative partnership, without a doubt. Um, but yeah, with all of this, I wanted to try something completely different where I didn't really have to compromise. I didn't have to work through those dynamics uh, and just see what would happen um, and see how it felt to do that while still working with Ludic and still seeing um, what collaborative endeavors exist. But yeah, I wanted to just like create something where I played every instrument um, and I wrote it all and I produced it all. Not so much because of the ego, um, but just to see what it would sound like. Like, what do I sound like when I just create music without the influence of other collaborators? Um, what did, and what did just, you yeah. What did you learn through that uh, that process? Well, I learned to trust my instincts for sure because I think um, it made me realize that a lot of people who seem very confident in their decisions really are just feeling it out. And sometimes they don't really know the answer. They're just trusting their own learned experience through music and their own just intuition, you know? And it taught me to trust that part of myself and uh, just know that there isn't really a right answer. Mm -hmm. But as long as it feels honest, then that's really all that matters. Was there ever moments um, throughout the making of it where you were like, fuck, I just, I, I wish I had someone else's um, <laughs> uh, opinion on this or someone else's idea, which might spark a different idea in myself? Or did you feel stuck at all? Or was it fairly kind of free flowing and, and you, you kind of just had it? I, I think there for sure were moments, but at the same time, the way I like writing songs allows for a lot of starting and stopping like the way I do things is I'll write a part of a song and then I really like to leave it alone for a long period of time sometimes and let it just sit with me and then when I come back to it it's immediately apparent what parts of that song are working and what parts aren't um, so with a collaborator you can get maybe more of that immediate feedback because you could like when your ears get tired like you might know the feeling when you're writing or recording or whatever and you're hearing the same song over and over again there's a point where it feels like you can't even really make decisions anymore but totally. you're not even sure if you even like it anymore um and when you're working with other people when you get tired you can have someone else step in and maybe fill the role um of giving you that feedback, but I've found a way to mitigate that. Like if I'm working with myself, just leaving some breathing room uh, and, and writing songs, of, you know, just little pieces at a time allows me to refresh myself and come back to what past Ayla wrote uh, and, and figure out, again, what parts of that song were working, what parts weren't. Yeah, sometimes you're also up against um, timelines. Like also, True. you know, if, if you're recording in a studio setting or whatever, or you're working with a spe specific producer, if they're traveling or something like that, then um, I found oftentimes you don't you don't have the luxury sometimes of time. So sure. uh, when you're you almost you almost have to make decisions uh, and and arrive hopefully at something or else. Once you leave that session, you could have 
a half finished song that's kind of living on a hard drive from a producer from a different place and you're here and you're on the internet and you're trying to you know then it becomes a bouncing you know files back and forth type of thing which is a different vibe obviously than when you're in a room and you can just say hey let's let's you know plug in a guitar and let's try this maybe the song needs that or whatever um so i i feel like i feel like that's often the case um and and it almost would be nice to have a situation where if if you know especially for yourself if you were doing this on your own and you had the you know time where you know you weren't under a certain you know pressure to release something or to um, make an album cycle or a tour or something like that where you're like hey I can park this song for you know a week two weeks three weeks uh, and then I can come back to it and and see how it hits my ears at at that point in time um, that's almost like a uh, it's it's a nice way to to do things if if you can yeah but that's such a good point you're you're totally right sometimes you don't have that like when i'm in the studio i'm trying to cut corners cost wise as much as possible (laughs) so i've been recording at echo plant because i i've recorded almost all of the looted stuff there and i love the studio i love working with uh dave the sound engineer there and we really see things eye to eye so i do get his feedback which is helpful um but also it's it's kind of like i remember going to a coffee shop not too long ago with a friend of mine and she had no idea what to order and she's like i can't figure it out i'm just gonna wait for the barista to ask me there's a huge lineup behind me i have to choose immediately and i'm just gonna make that decision in the moment so there's something to be said for you know, Gosh, you booked yeah. a studio. Yeah, you, you booked a studio for a day. Uh, yeah, you do sometimes just have to go with your gut feeling. And I know for me, as long as I'm keeping the intention of the song in mind completely, I trust that whatever decision I make is going to be the best reflection of where I'm at in the moment and how I'm connecting with that um, meaning behind the song itself. And then from there, it's like, what can you do? All all music is is a way of uh, kind of creating a crystallized, I don't know, fossil or something of, <laughs> of where you are in that exact moment when it's created. So, do you have a north star for a particular song when you go into actually recording it? Or hundred um, percent, you do. Okay, yeah, and yeah. Because I feel you would, would you would you like actually go to the extent of like writing that out uh, as like hey this is this is my north star what i'm looking to achieve or it's something that you kind of just know intrinsically and you, you every decision you're kind of making towards that i say no intrinsically because um i think one thing that i always envied in some musicians was um i looked at some of the songwriters who technically didn't know too much they didn't know too many chords they didn't know all of the technical aspects of how to play an instrument at all but they wrote amazing songs and i felt like the more i dove into being a guitar player and i had like more options at my fingertips literally uh, as to like what i could do on the instrument I had to figure out a mindset to put myself in to never allow my ego and the patterns I had under my fingers and whatever dictate where the song went. Like the technical skills I'd acquired only existed and helped me to execute. um, It's like another tool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Just to convey emotion, right? Like it takes a lot of wisdom to get there though. Uh, And I I feel a lot of um, people I've worked with, um, I guess throughout my songwriting journey, um, especially quite uh, technically trained musicians. I think I've learned over time, there's a tendency at the beginning to overplay uh, and to sometimes overcomplicate things. Um, Well, I think that always there can be a nice there's nice tools in that in that kit and and use that to where the, you know the song wants to go and and learning over time that the song is king uh i, I think that that takes somewhat of a maturity of uh, whether it's an individual player or even as a band um to to remember that and to come back to the north star um we also are at least something i i've learned at the beginning i felt I used to have a lot more uh, I wanted control of um, 
especially up front in the demoing and you know that that process i i almost wanted everything um in place before we went into the studio and and that left almost no room for uh improvisation or or what can happen in the power of the moment um and and in the last couple of years um just working with some different producers and seeing how they work in a totally different fashion um i i think i i learned that the power of the moment and the room and the vibe and the people there and um allowing some of that to come through in that space can often add a lot of magic to to a song or something that you would have never you know been able to conjure up if you know you know in your demoing process you're trying to get everything absolutely perfect before you record it um Weird. that was really eye opening experience for me is 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 just you know let the moment happen sometimes especially if if you got you got a good vibe um which i i also think is a really important thing when it comes to recording is um your environment your atmosphere uh, you know what kind of what kind of team what kind of room you're kind of building and working within um it all it all contributes to the it's kind of the pixie dust uh, that you that you put on yeah. top of, of the song you know i totally agree i feel like anytime i step into the studio a totally finished track is still only 90% done at most. And then there's that extra headroom there uh, where I really love to just see what comes to me. Um, and, and sometimes I'll invite specific friends to be there with me because they just having them there, their presence changes the atmosphere of the studio. And then it maybe leads the conversation in a certain place where all of a sudden I have an idea that has occurred to me that maybe wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and also, it's really fun. Uh, it has been really fun through the process of this uh, solo EP to experiment with like some of the songs. I pulled a lot from the demo directly, like a lot of the uh, things I'd already laid down, like certain synth tracks, certain guitar tracks even, where... I just felt like the way they sounded in the demo was kind of exactly what I wanted them to sound like. Um, yeah, and you can't, it's hard to recreate things sometimes. Yeah, totally. You, know, you, you, you yeah. hold on to something. Yeah, yeah, we find that all the time. Also a part of the process where certain songs I deliberately didn't allow myself to pull anything from the demo. And I'm like, let's just build this from scratch and see what happens. And it, I just sort of trusted my instincts with like which songs um, would work better for what approach and and hope you don't uh keep your demoitis uh which yeah exactly which, that which for the, yeah. the the songwriters and the artists out there uh demoitis is a very very real thing uh that often is hard to let go of um, okay take me back to the the calpurnia days so uh for people listening calpurnia that was a band that was launched around 2018 it was fronted by finn wolfhard from uh the popular show stranger things and you guys got very quick buzz and, and visibility kind of right off the hop obviously um mm -hmm. you even played jimmy kimmel live or you know, yeah. you know those, are, <laughs> those are those are experiences that you know any artist in the world you know is is dying to kind of experience um how did how did that band get started, and and what was it like to be on that ride, uh, even if it was you know a brief one? It was fascinating. I feel like that's the only word I can really use because it was also happening at a time of my life where already I was reaching certain critical points with um, figuring out what things were important to me in music and as a person, um, you know. I was a teenager and it started when I did a music program in Vancouver where it was just young people who like writing songs uh, <laughs> would get together for a week and like form a band and then you'd write a song and learn some covers together and whatever. And that's where I, fe that's where I met Finn and then Malcolm, who was the drummer in California. And we became friends and we were friends for a couple of years as Finn's career obviously became what it is now. And then the bass player Jack in California was a friend from school who I played music with as well. Uh, and it was funny, it was kind of like the two different corners of my life converged. Uh, and yeah, it was just through Finn having the opportunity to put a band together for a music fundraiser he was hosting, uh, like a show fundraiser and then 
he knew about Jack through me. Um, obviously, him and Malcolm and I had played music together before, and then we just kind of came together naturally from there. And then, yeah, I mean, it, it was super fascinating, like to experience such a quick uh, kind of rise to visibility, let's say, but also be aware that at the early shows, while they immediately sold out before we had any music out, which is not the norm in the industry. That's no, crazy. Not, not the norm. I, I was also aware that a lot of the people there probably didn't know who I was, right? So it was like an interesting feeling to be on these big stages, um, feeling like I deserve to be there. Cause like, I know I myself at that point had put in my 10,000 hours and like yeah. worked so hard, you know? Um, but to know that the band itself, like in a normal circumstance, a band has to grind for years, for years and years and years. And, you know, the idea of, again, selling out shows before you have music out, obviously there's unheard so of. much yeah it's unheard of right there's clearly something more beyond the music um but it was interesting to see over time how to the fans of the band it did become more about the music as time went on and you know people understood what um my place was in the band and everyone else's place was and like what was actually happening on a musical level beyond the you know the hype and the fame that sin brought um but it was super interesting to be in Calpurnia while at the same time playing with Ludic, where we were just playing at little bars and clubs around the city where you have to try to fight for people's attention and, and to go from playing Jimmy Kimmel to playing, you know, the railway club in Vancouver kind of within a week was super interesting. Like having no those experiences is fascinating. Yeah, no doubt. What was, um, did you guys have my, like, what was your songwriting process in, in Calpurnia? Was it the type of thing that, um, I guess my question, was it like, hey, you know, you guys are know you're going to get mad visibility. You're selling out shows before you literally even put out music. Um, so one could think that, okay, uh, a label or the machine is very much going to drive this. Everything has to be perfect, executed. The pictures have to be perfect. The video has to be perfect. It's it's going to be a product kind of of the, of the machine. Um, was there a lot of that type of influence or was it like four kids in a room who uh, made some, made some cool songs and, uh, the, and, and the, the machine was the machine because uh, obviously uh, Finn's career at that point. Yeah, I say the latter for sure. And I feel that the label and everyone involved understood that it would only work if it was allowed to just be what it was uh, without the uh, kind of manipulation and like sculpting of external forces. And so I think why the band resonated with people especially young people is it felt very very much like yeah just you know four kids writing in a basement what was jimmy kimmel like how was that uh was there a lot of nerves uh going into that or um i can only imagine it's it's not something yeah. that the, it's not something that the everyday layman gets to do it's true and obviously i don't take those opportunities for granted at all. It's crazy to have been able to do stuff like that. And I definitely hope to do stuff like that, um, you know, further into my life as well. And I don't know, just see what happens. But yeah, it was it was super interesting. It's like you get there and do a sound check fairly early in the day. And then there's just like a lot of waiting and sitting around. I've come to realize that anything involving cameras and filming and, and that whole side of things, um, film and television production is very much a hurry up and wait kind of uh, kind of game where you have a big rush to like get there on time, sound check for a couple minutes and get that sort of stuff sorted. And then you're sitting there waiting for like 10 hours, you know? Um, so it was, it was cool. Uh, I think the coolest part of it is I learned to really trust myself um, and trust myself under pressure. And that was also at a time in my life when I really hadn't dealt with the anxiety that I actually had on a day-to-day -day basis that like now I've 
work through and therapist and you know i've figured out ways to manage that but when it was uh just something that i didn't even realize i dealt with um definitely there's a lot of anxiety a lot of that anxiety came through in like perfectionism and um being in high stress situations always brought out those tendencies in a really unique way because it's like i can't mess up uh and if it's something this visible you know it's all over and like my the self-chatter to yeah exactly the self-chatter the response to making mistakes was like catastrophizing what that would mean for my career and my identity and my life whatever but i again i was very proud of myself that i learned that I can still trust myself in those high pressure situations and that mistakes don't actually have the catastrophic consequences I, I thought, you know, in my mind. Sometimes they can actually work to your benefit. hundred uh, percent, especially yeah. in music. Yeah. yeah. Was that, I'm curious to dive into like, so part of this podcast is asking artists um, things that have uh, done, gone well for them, um, you know, areas and, and trying to learn almost from each other. Uh, one thing I find is that artists don't, I find don't talk to each other enough. And in this absolutely crazy ass industry, um, you know, sometimes you feel like you're alone on a planet trying to figure out this mad ass ecosystem. Uh, and I feel sometimes if we just talk to each other and when we ask each other, uh, we can avoid a lot of the mistakes along the way. Um, yeah. So something obviously that's been um, quite successful for you is your Instagram following. So uh, you've grown a significant following. Um, what was the kind of initial catalyst for that growth? Um, and how have you been able to use that to, to your advantage as an artist? Yes, yeah, super interesting. Uh, I feel that there are a lot of people who know me for specific things, but don't know some of the other things I've been involved in. Um, so it's like people are finding me through different mediums and have found me in different chapters of my career so far. And so it started um, like a year after I started playing. So I started playing guitar when I was 12. At 13, I started uploading just these little 15 second videos of me playing guitar. Um, on Instagram. And on Instagram, yeah. And then from there, over time, I started building a following. Um, and I don't know if you were part of this scene at all on, on Instagram back in like 2014 to 2016, but there are all these accounts like Riff Wars and Pickup Jazz and uh, Guitars Daily were like the goal for anyone uploading um, videos of themselves playing guitar was to get featured on these accounts because anytime you got featured, you would grow like a couple thousand followers. Like it was a time where there was a lot of concentration and there were a lot of eyeballs on those accounts. So through those uh, channels, I started growing and I maybe accumulated like, I don't know, somewhere between 60 to 80,000 followers on my own, like just doing that stuff. So you had the foresight to be like, hey, if I can just get picked up with these channels, I'm going to start to gain a lot of followers. Yeah, yeah, I guess it, it just uh, motivated me to keep doing what I was doing um, and to put attention into what kind of content I was putting out there and how people reacted and then I would learn from what things worked and what things didn't. Um, and then, yeah, with Calpurnia, obviously, there's a lot of exposure there and I grew quite a few followers. Um, I think people have found me through a bunch of different projects and channels like um, being part of Guitario and doing a lot of music education online. I know a lot of people have found me through that as well. And again, it's really funny just to hear people say, oh, I know you from this one thing. And then I see them comment maybe a month later and they're like, oh my God, I didn't realize you're the same girl who's also in whatever this project was. And it's like, yeah, I am the same person. <laughs> nice. Have you been able to um, get a lot of opportunities like from uh, having that following? Have you been able to monetize it? Like what is what has been your actual, like it's nice to have whatever, 350,000 followers. Um, it looks great, but have you been able to, mm -hmm. have you been able to use that to real tangible things in your life or, or what sorts of things is that opened up for you? Yeah. It, I mean, it's certainly a form of currency in this modern music industry. Um, and 
I think it has made my collaborative partnerships with brands more fruitful for both parties. Um, and with that, I'm maybe able to ask for more support sometimes because they're also getting something in return um, to be totally transparent, right? Because of course it's a business. Anyone who tells you 100%. otherwise is, 100%. is you, lying you gotta, for some reason. <laughs> you got you to feed yourself at the end of the day. It's This is a very hard industry. 100%. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely a degree of just vanity numbers uh, being there to help strengthen the superficial look of your brand, you know, but also, again, yeah, it helps with those partnerships. I think it just makes it easier for them to feel like they're going to get something in return if they throw some opportunities your way or some instruments or and have you noticed? Have you noticed um, Instagram change over the years? Obviously, you were very er- you, you're, <laughs> oh, yeah. you're, you're a very early adopter, which I'm I'm sure was was huge in terms of growing a following. Um, what what have you kind of noticed or learned uh, in kind of the Instagram journey? Um, you know, with engagement, with has it become harder? Uh, what's just walk me through your kind of perspective from someone who's been doing this uh, quite successfully for for a long time. Well, yeah, it's of course it's changed completely, right? There's the whole back end uh, story of of uh, how the company has evolved and changed over time in terms of who's uh, in in the positions to make decisions and and who's funding certain things. Um, not like in a conspiracy theory way. I just mean like obviously things really changed when uh, it became part of meta and and adopted the facebook algorithm and yeah i mean now it's very clear to me like i can check the demographics and statistics and whatever that the app gives me that my content is shown to like 10 percent of my followers so it goes without saying that a lot of people are struggling on instagram a lot of people are losing more followers than they're gaining it's a lot harder to reach new audiences like i think in the past just on instagram you could grow your profile and your brand as an artist just by sharing content and that would lead to your content being shared with other people or being reposted on other places or you know the um I forget the name you know when there's a period of time where instagram puts certain posts like on everyone's uh, okay. Yeah. On everyone's like explore feed, like there was a lot more the app provided as far as um, putting your content in front of other people. I mean, it still to an extent does that, like with the whole reels algorithm. But now it's so kind of uh, imbalanced in the sense that, like, unless you're putting effort into reels, your profile will not grow. Um, and it, I've, yeah. have you? Um, is this something that is it caused you to be like, hey, I got to switch up the type of content I do? Or have you had moments of like frustration because of this, like a lot of people or are, are you kind of like, hey, this is this it is, it is what it is. And there's nothing I can do here. Yeah. I mean, again, with any challenge in life, you can either change your outlook or you can change uh, how you respond. Right. So I think overall, it's just my outlook that's changed. And I'm just accepted like, damn, too bad. I know, um, funnily enough, my parents are more frustrated by it than I am. Where, like, my dad's checking uh, and he's like, oh my God, you're losing followers. And I'm like, dad, everyone's losing followers. Don't yeah. worry about it. Um, and it's really cute that they're, <laughs> you know, I love it. That's looking awesome. out in that way. But, um, you're very loving parents. Yeah, they are. Uh, definitely. But yeah, I think the other thing is, is trying to, as best I can, change to the shifting landscape of whatever social media platforms are are supporting at the time um and yeah i don't try to like totally reshape everything i'm doing to acquiesce to the changing standards of instagram or whatever um but yeah i mean you know it's like if i think to myself i have this amount of time to create something for social media it's probably more beneficial to put time into creating something that the algorithm's actually going to support versus something 
that the algorithm will hide. And are, you, are you are you um are you the type of person that you're you're looking at the numbers and the stats and the demographics across uh, Spotify across Instagram like are, are those things that you're uh, like really actively looking at and trying to inform your decisions about things or are you more in the school of uh, hey I'm an artist I, I'm trying to make great stuff and and whatever happens happens both I say uh, I feel like a healthy balance in both feels right for me. Like I'm someone who loves learning and I love understanding things. So there is a part of me that finds it really interesting to like put put something out, whether it's a video or a song or whatever, and then see where it's hidden, who it's hidden, and yeah, just how things are resonating with people. Um, but also, of course, you know, it's it's a simple fact that you'll never appease everyone. Um, in fact, you'll probably only resonate with a certain pocket of people. And it's like, I can't be ingenuine. That's just something I found for myself. I find it impossible to say things I don't believe in or to uh, stand for things I don't believe in or create music I don't believe in and actually um, stand by it. Uh, And so I'll create music that feels honest to me and it'll find the right audience eventually. So. Yeah, nice. you, have a, you have a very good outlook. Uh, you seem like someone who's gained a lot of wisdom in in not that many years uh, on the planet. That's that's awesome. Um, okay, I just have a couple more questions for you. One more specifically, um, since you you're launching like a, a solo career, you've obviously you're you're launching um, you know songs on Spotify. I know you've done a lot of videos, uh, which you've also kind of directed uh, and essentially starred in. So I imagine YouTube is kind of your main platform there. Um, what have you found between Spotify and YouTube on um, trying to essentially, you know, gain fans? Um, mm-hmm. how, how have you how have you seen those different between just audio and Spotify, and obviously using video as a component on YouTube? And has one or the other been more beneficial to you? Good question. I feel like they both fulfill very specific uh, and different roles in in building my brand as a lot of artists, you know? Uh, and yeah, it goes without saying that streaming right now means something. There is an amount of money to be made on it. Um, obviously, yes, it's it's uh, not without its issues. And obviously people are not making money off of other people listening to their music in the same way that past artists were with like physical, you know, vinyl and CDs and whatever. But uh, yeah, there's an amount of money to be made with streaming. It is a way for new people to find your music. Um, but YouTube is that as well. And it's it's just, I think people have different reasons they use different platforms and different expectations. Like when people go to YouTube, they want a visual component to what they're hearing. Um, so that's where you fulfill that kind of uh, way of communicating your art to people um, and also fulfill what they're probably on YouTube for. And then obviously when people are streaming music on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever, they're there to just listen to music. Um, so I guess, yeah, that, that would actually be the commonality between them. Uh, and then what separates them is just what purpose they serve and just like, allowing me to express different parts of my artistry and also uh, reach people in different ways. Have you found one or the other to be more advantageous uh, to you? It'd be hard to say. I I don't know if I could uh, uh, A-B them like that. I think... I will say YouTube is fun in the sense that you get that immediate feedback like through comments and you can really hear what people are specifically resonating with. Um, that being said, on Spotify, it is so fun. Like people who aren't artists might not realize that an artist can see every playlist that their song is added to. Yeah, totally. There's some real goofy names out there. <laughs> yeah, there's some hilarious ones. But then it's so cool to see what other songs people are putting my songs next to, and. For me, I, I do have to say there's something unbelievably fulfilling about seeing 
my songs put on playlists with uh, artists and songs I'm super inspired by um, and, and knowing that there are at least a few people out there who feel that those songs in some way fit together. And I, I feel like that's very rewarding. Totally. How did, um, how did the song come home with Willow? How did that come to be? Yeah, that one was another hilarious, just very organic story where um, she, back in the Calpurnia days, must have found out about me through Calpurnia. Um, and one day in 2018, I remember getting all these comments uh, where people were like, check out Willow's page, you gotta check it out. And I'm like, Willow, Willow Boo. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I realized it was Willow Smith and she had just like, drawn a picture of me and posted it on her instagram it was like wow that's crazy that's oh, so my cool God. all right what a wild and, day i know and from there i was like i feel like that's an invitation to start a conversation <laughs> i would say so <laughs> yeah yeah and so from there you know we, we we talked here and there i remember meeting her uh one time in new york that year and i just thought she was like a very genuine interesting person and like we kept in touch and then uh during covid i remember one day just all of a sudden thinking huh, i wonder how she's doing because um there were certain friends and whatnot that would sometimes just pop into my head and i'd be like i really want to know how they're dealing with you know this crazy time we're all going through and so I just texted her and we were just like catching up and talking about whatever books you're reading and whatnot. And um, I genuinely think she's a very exciting artist. Like she's barely older than me. Um, so she's she's super young and early in her career. And she's exploring some really exciting different styles of music. So I'm actually always really interested to see where she's going to pivot next. Yeah, very, uh, and very so, fresh sounding. Totally, yeah, yeah, and uh, adventurous. And so I was like, "Are you working on new music?" Because like I, I want to hear like what the next phase of your music is going to sound like. And she's like, "Yeah, I have been working on a record." And then she's like, "Now that I think about it, there's a song that I think um, you could maybe just like drop a chorus and a guitar solo on, or a verse and a guitar solo on." I'm like. I mean, yeah, sure. That sounds amazing. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, I didn't really follow up. I was just like, if it's meant to happen, if she's genuine about it, she'll let me know. Um, and then, yeah, she just sent the song over and she's like, there's this big open space in the middle. You can do whatever you want. And I'm like, that's All crazy. Right. Is there anything in particular you want? She's like, I don't know, maybe the guitar solo could be like a little more staccato as opposed to held out notes. That's the only thing I'm really thinking do whatever you want so i listened to the song a bunch and i tried to figure out like just what i wanted to say on it and like uh how i wanted to approach my my little section of the song to make it feel like me but also more importantly fit the song as a whole um and you're singing on it too right yeah yeah yeah, you sing a whole verse yeah and some harmonies and did you have um, any solo material at the time Good question. I think this was right before I actually started recording my solo stuff. I, I had a lot of solo songs sitting around. Um, but like, did you have a Spotify profile that had like no. your name? No, so, or- so, so my first song on my <laughs> profile was this song with Willow. And I'm like, okay, that's crazy. That's cool. a great, that's a great start. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I, I do you have, feel... You have one of the most unlikely artist journeys probably of I, any artist that there is like literally sold true. out shows before music comes out your first song on your solo project is with a world famous person and artist it's like wow that's crazy man i know i know i i do think about that sometimes and i'm like that's super crazy i feel very lucky um to have been able to translate hard work into stuff like this because i i don't see things is a complete meritocracy. Like I think there are a lot of people who work as hard as I do and are as deserving, um, who haven't had the luck I've had. So as much as I work hard, I also am like, what what an unbelievable um, opportunity that I never want to forget is um, something to be very fortunate for. And 
Yeah, and it, it's really interesting. Um, and I guess it does feel very rewarding that a lot of this stuff has just come organically through me just starting to share videos online and then things kind of going from there. Um, and just through the genuine connections and friendships I've built with people over the years. But, you're obviously, uh, you're obviously yeah. quite, quite smart too. So it seems like you've been able to uh, piece things together, look for opportunities where they come. And just, you know, it seems like through some of those natural things that you do as a human, um, it seems like you've been able to, you know, create opportunities almost for yourself. And I, I, think, I, I don't think you can underestimate your, um, you know, your, your own ability to, to do those things. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to say I'm smart, but I do like understanding the world and learning about it, trying to figure out patterns and trying to figure out why things are the way they are. And yeah, I, I guess those attributes do help in trying to figure out what things I could do to hopefully reach a certain goal. So, That's yeah. awesome. Okay, last question. Through kind of your own journey uh, up until this point in music, through both the bands you've played in, obviously releasing kind of your solo material now through your, you know, your your social media success. Um, what what lessons uh, have you learned that you would uh, you'd give to to younger people or advice kind of for for uh, younger artists? You're in. So I mean, I feel like I've learned so many things. Uh, I feel that the way I've created music and moved through the industry is inseparable from my identity as a person. And when there were times that I would try writing songs where I was too afraid to be honest and be vulnerable because I hadn't worked through certain parts of myself, um, those songs didn't resonate the way they were supposed to. And there is no great music that is created timidly. So if you have something you need to say, you can't hold back. And I'm not saying the music needs to be like maximalist or like uh, intense, but I just mean like whatever your intention is, every decision you make has to fit that, you know, in a songwriting sense. And also just how you move through the industry. But yeah, when you're songwriting, you have to be vulnerable. You have to express what you're trying to say completely and without fear. Uh, and all great music, I think, when I just think about the music that stood the test of time, is music that resonates deeply because the artist was very open about whatever it was that they're trying to say. Awesome. That's Man, what I say. That is very sage advice. Uh, I, I think you absolutely <laughs> nailed it on the head. I just uh, read a lot of books. I don't know. I, mean, I love I just... it. That's absolutely awesome. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much uh, for, for joining me. And it's been really awesome to learn about your your history and, and your musical journey. And I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing your EP that comes out here in just, just a couple of weeks. So uh, thanks thank for you. Thanks so much for having me. This was such a lovely conversation. 